Aloha, friends. I'm Matthew Gray, host of 50 Tastes of Gray, a podcast that explores everything in life worth loving. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Marcy Warhaft body image and self-esteem expert who has been recognized as one of Canada's top 100 influencers for three years running. We talked about food, love, and even stripping. Yep, she's got a stripper's pole right in her house, among a lot of other things. She's absolutely at her best when she laughs heartily at jokes, heartache, the fact that she doesn't cook, and so much more. There's been a lot of trauma there. Stay apprised of me and 50 Tastes of Grey by visiting lovelife.com anytime. In the meantime, vibe on Marcy Warhaft and her Always Keep Dancing vibe. I've really been looking forward to having you on. What do you want to talk about? I want to know what you ate today. today. Oh God, don't ask me my, oh God, what did, no, I don't eat well. <laughs> I had oatmeal, I had egg whites. I mean, it sounds really healthy, but I don't know. I, you know what the problem is? I don't cook. I love food and I don't know how to cook. So, okay, there's an issue right there for somebody who has the background that you've had related to food and body image and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's tell a me big, about it's, your food it's, world. It's, a, it's an interesting, it's, it's, it's challenging. It is challenging. I've always loved food. When I was little, my mother used to say that I was her best eater. Always, always loved food. Um, but I never, I never learned how to cook. <laughs> Um, I remember in high school, taking home ec and failing. I got like a 48% and cooking was part of it. I don't know why. I just never had a thing for it. Didn't cook with my mom. It just wasn't one of the things we did. And then I developed an eating disorder when I was 17. And that gave me a really messed up relationship with mm-hmm. food. So I was mm-hmm. terrified of food for years and years and years and years. Still loved it, but was terrified of it. And then when I went into recovery, um, there were times when it was better. I was, you know, I'm not afraid of food now, so it's not that, but I still, I, there's a thing with me with cooking it. I don't know. I, 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 and people say, oh, as long as you could read a recipe, you can cook, but it's not true. Not true. It's really Definitely not true. Not right. And I'll, and I'll tell you when I was married and my kids were younger, I cooked every day. So it's not like I didn't, I just didn't cook well. And my kids would be the first to, to tell you that. And they all ate very differently. My kids were athletes and had to have special diets. And my ex-husband ate, ate completely differently than I did. not So that also didn't make it fun when I had to cook different meals for everyone and at different times, having it ready at different. So that wasn't, that also wasn't pleasant. And I was a vegetarian for so long and I had this, <laughs> this is so insane, but because I didn't eat meat, but I cooked it for my family. I had this horrible fear that if I didn't cook it well enough, I was going to kill them all by accident. And I'd be the only one left standing because I was the only one that didn't eat it. So I would really cook the hell out of everything just to make sure that I didn't undercook it. Or if, if I was making meat and it didn't smell right, I would throw it out. Like I wasted so much money on, because I was so, I'm just, a, there's a fear there. So, I mean, I've lived in my place now for about two years. I have not used the, I use the oven once to bake cookies. Oh dear. So you're the takeout queen. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not, I don't Uh take out, I don't go to restaurants. It's just, I microwave everything, everything that's really kind of easy. I stick to very basic stuff. Yeah. It's not great. And I, I wish I, I wish I knew how to do more or, and, and wanted to, like, it's a weird thing because I want to learn how to cook, but then I also don't really enjoy it. And so, so you it's, can't it's, really find your Zen place in the kitchen at all. No, no. Uh huh. 
And and when yeah. you had your food disorder, your eating disorder, what was that related to? And and you know, was it a fear of food? Was it a fear of going into the kitchen? Was it a fear of getting sick? No, it was a fear of gaining weight. That was my that that's the whole eating disorder thing. It was when I was 17 and my brother passed away and, and he was my life. And A, I thought, okay, he was 21 years old and he'd seemed so healthy to me and he got sick. So it made me realize that how unsafe we were in the world, how unprotected. So I felt scared of everything. And then I also felt that he was a better person than I was and the world needed him more than it needed me. And I felt like I had to earn my place. And so the only way I could sort of be worthy of living was if I was perfect. And I didn't feel like I was the smartest, the funniest, the most interesting. So I thought, well, I'll try to be the prettiest. And at 17, not that it's different these days, but it was skinny. I had to be skinny. And so, and I was also a way of controlling the only life felt completely out of my control. The only thing you really have complete control over is your body. And so I controlled what I ate, what I didn't eat, things like that. So it gave me a false sense of control, which really, as soon as your eating disorder kicks in, you realize you have no control. And so I was, I was just afraid of, of eating anything that um, would put on any weight at all. So you had that survivor guilt after brother passed away and that kind mm-hmm. of morphed into like a lack of self-confidence and one thing led to another, it sounds like. Well, what was also the thing, so it was, it was that, it was the trying to get control because a lot of times eating disorders are about control. But also I, I had the misfortune, my family doctor at the time was not a great person. And I had gone to see him just a couple of months after my brother died for a, just a checkup. And I was always very fit. I had actually spent the summer teaching dance at an overnight camp. So I was always very active into sports and dance and never had a weight issue. Didn't have a weight issue at that point. Um, but I had seen myself becoming obsessed with what I weighed and all that. And so uh, I knew I needed to nip it in the bud, which good for me in 1987 to recognize that at 17 years old. And I my doctor wanted me to get on the scale as part of a physical. And I said, you know what, don't tell me what I weigh. Cause I, and I told him, saw myself getting obsessed with it. And again, I was very healthy, very fit. And my brother had just died like two months earlier. And he said, no, that's ridiculous. You have to get on the scale. And then when I got on the scale, he told me that medically speaking, I wasn't overweight, but society was very thin. And if I wanted to fit into society, I'd have to lose 10 pounds. If I wanted to look good in a bathing suit, I'd have to lose 10 pounds. And he kept pointing at my stomach going, what is that? Look at that. What is that? And then he made me write down everything I, w- I ate for the week and then go in to see him and, and show him what I ate. And if he didn't approve of something, he'd yell at me. Wow. And That's that was, it was very, it was incredible. It, it was so negligent um, in retrospect, you know, yeah. knowing that. And at the time also my brother's disease was hereditary. And so I was going in weekly for blood tests. So I literally left his office and went to the hospital for tests and so I'm still dealing at 17 with so much trauma and now this on top of it. And so I lost the 10 and then another 10 and then another 10 just as a yeah. FU to him. But I was living that screwed. Yeah, no, that's crazy because, you know, first of all, doctors don't go through a whole lot of nutritional and medical training related to food and diet. So for him to do that onto you, to lay that kind of whole social pressure onto you is crazy. Uh, yeah. Let's go get him. I, I tried. I actually, I wrote a book years and years ago for parents, the body image survival guide for parents. And I wrote about him and I sent it to him, but I never heard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, maybe we can all reach out to him and say hello and see how he's doing. <laughs> well, I will tell you this. I will uh-huh. tell you this. So this was in 1987. And just a few years ago, I looked him up and saw they've got those things online where you can like rate your doctor kind of thing. And I saw him there and somebody just a few years ago 
a young girl had written a review and she said that she had worked up the courage to tell him that she had an eating disorder. And he said to her, ah, you just need a boyfriend. So he was still really messed up. Oh my God, like stone ages stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, So here you are, you know, societal pressures, your brother died. You don't really dig the food scene very much. You felt like you had to be skinny and pretty and beautiful all the time. How were you able to finally overcome that? (laughs) It took couple of decades. It really did. It took, it did. It took decades. I went through pregnancies like that. Although thank God while I was pregnant, um, I wanted healthy babies so badly that I, I, I ate, did whatever I needed to do to, to do that. But then went back into it. I even went through a near death experience with a bizarre illness. I was in the hospital for months, two months with kidney failure and respiratory failure and had multiple surgeries and a tracheostomy and not related to that, but got out of that, had to learn how to walk again, talk again, breathe again on my own still ended up going back to the eating disorder after that because it's so insidious. It's such a, it's so much more than people think. It's, it's, it's I think they say now it has the, the second highest mortality rate of all mental health uh, illnesses or eating disorders. So it, it's really brutal. And I think it's really, they're really misunderstood. People think it's vanity, but it's, for me, it was my sanity, but it took. Vanity and it sanity took. are very closely related. That's that's. They can be, yeah. yeah but because yeah. um, people always say, if if your if your problem is that you're not eating, people say, well, just eat. It's like, well, if it was that, oh, oh, that's what I, oh, I didn't realize that was it. Or somebody's compulsively overeating because I did that too. Um, oh, just stop eating. Oh, okay. Oh, thank you. No one had I never thought of that before. Well, well that's so, easy. But um, it got to a point where, and I had seen therapists throughout my life, and it just, I still, I wasn't. I wasn't ready yet. And it got to a point where my kids were young, really young. Um, and I thought I had to be better for them. I had given up on myself. Mm-hmm. I had given up on myself. And I also still didn't feel like I was really worth still being here, to be honest. But I thought I had had a great mother before I lost her when I was in my 20s. Um, and I really felt that they deserved a better mom and a healthy mom and a mom who would sit there and and really be listening to them instead of thinking, what did I eat? What am I eating? What am I going to eat? How many calories did that have? How many, how much do I have to exercise in order to work off that? They needed a mother who was present. And for them, I always say I gave them life, but they saved mine. Mm-hmm. And I found a, a, an eating disorder program and, you know, it was uh, a year waiting list. Got on the list. They got, I got the call at the time. I was like, no, I don't need it anymore. And then right away it was like, no, I do. Went back on the list waited again. And, um, I went through this program, but it was really at a point where I have to say, I, it wasn't that I was like, Oh, I'm going to get better for me. It wasn't, it was for them, but it changed. It changed my life completely, completely. So overcoming the, the eating disorder was more than just the lack of willingness to cook. And the fact that you're still not cooking, it it was overcoming what, what exactly the habit or desire to, to be something you really not, or you, or wanting to be more than you I know it's so hard. (laughs) It's so hard because the societal pressure is still there. Everything is still there. I think ah, it's, it's, I don't even know. It it really does work on the, the physical part of it and the emotional part of it, which is why there are people who will be hospitalized for eating disorders, but that's, and to get them to the point where they can then start the psychological part of it. But you can't, it's not just a matter of if you're heavy losing weight or if you're too thin gaining weight, it's, it's such a mental hurdle. I mean, to say that it's, it's so diminishes it, but I think for me, it was kind of 
dealing with some of my traumas. It, it became my escape. People turn to alcohol, people turn to drugs, people turn to different things. For me, I didn't choose it, but for whatever reason, this was my thing. So when my brother died, I always say I, it was easier for me to focus on my empty stomach than his empty room. The, the pain at that time too, it's when you have uh, an emotional pain, it's, especially when you're young, it's really hard to wrap your head around that. Whereas a physical pain you get, you cut yourself, you have pain, you get that. You break your leg, you have pain, you get that. But when it's an emotional pain, like my heart was ripped out when my brother died, yeah. that's too much. And I, I can't understand it. So when I was either under eating or overeating, it caused me pain. And that was, it was a way for me to, to understand it in a way. And it was also a distraction. I, I couldn't, I couldn't think of my loss. So I would focus on the food or my body. So that just became my thing. And that followed me through life. When I lost my mother, it was the same thing. When I went through issues with my, with my marriage or whatever, whenever something hard would hit and it hit constantly in my life, that was my go-to. It was just my body. It was, I got to exercise more. I have to eat less. I have to, I was putting myself in such dangerous situations. So it was a way when I went into the group, it was finding different ways to deal with the emotions. It was dealing with the emotions. It was, I couldn't avoid them anymore. Right, and right. it was learning how to process that. And, and it is fear. And I'll tell you the biggest surprise when I went into this program, it was through a hospital and I was overeating at the time. So I was compulsively overeating and I went in and I remember they gave me a list of foods I had to eat every single day. Now I'm talking, it was everything that you, society tells us not to eat. Every single day I had to have something from like call A, B, C, D. And it, it went from, let's say, full fat yogurt to a piece of cake like mm -hmm. every single day. And nothing, nothing could be low fat, low sugar, diet, anything. But it was cake, cookies, uh, every single day. And this All was for me, I, I was... I was in my 30s and I remember yeah. looking at the list and crying. Like, I can't, what? I can't, can I just eat more protein? And no. And then after not very long, I mean, look, I stumbled a lot. I didn't know how to eat three cookies. I knew how to eat no cookies or the box of cookies. Right. Like, there was no in between for me. And it took a, it took a, they give you, I think, two weeks to get on the program. And if you can't, you're out because too many people are, are literally dying to get in. Mm -hmm. But then what was amazing was it taught me how to eat those things as part of a healthy diet. And I, I, my body, I was healthier than ever. And I wasn't afraid of it anymore because it was, the food wasn't calling for me. When you deprive yourself of stuff, it just yells at you. But when you have a few cookies, let's say, knowing, oh, I can have them tomorrow. In the past, I'd be like, I'm gonna have them now. I'm never gonna have them again. That's all you think about. But I'm like, no, I can have, I have enough and then I'll have tomorrow. N the next day, I didn't always want them. If I wanted them, I had them. If I didn't want, so it became fun. Then it became like, oh, I've never, oh, I haven't had this for years. I'm going to have it. Like it, it took all the fear out of it. And that was, oh, and my kids loved seeing me eat because we would go to restaurants when I was at my worst. And my kids would literally say to me, mommy, are you eating today or just watching? Wow. Yeah. So it affected yeah. them. You know, your thing affected them. It just, everything goes downhill, right? It's, well, I put myself, I put my life in danger. I would... There was a time I, I, I've, I've shared before where I was, it was midnight and I felt I'd overeaten and I felt I needed to work it off. And here I, again, I was a mom and I walked to my gym, my 24 hour gym that was an hour away. And I walked there at midnight because like, why would I drive for why save, like I could burn those calories. 
I worked out for a few hours, walked back. And here I am walking back on a Sunday night at four o'clock in the morning, not safe. And I'm, and I remember being terrified on my walk home and thinking, what if something happens to me? What if I'm attacked? What if I'm hit by a car? How is their dad going to explain to them why mommy was out walking at four o'clock in the morning? Like right, it was, right. I, I got home. I was, I went into rooms, I kissed them. I was terrified, but I was more afraid of gaining weight than I was of dying. And that's the truth. Wow. Okay. We've got all this stuff going on here and, uh, you know, self-esteem issues and this and that. I want to know where that stripper's pole fits into your life and your lifestyle <laughs> and your background oh and God. all your that's stuff. Such a, <laughs> that's such a big joke. Well, it's funny because it's so connected uh-huh. because at that point, so, okay. Um, you imagine, so I've gone through this when I was 17 with my brother, then it's just life. It was trauma after trauma after trauma that I went through a lot, a lot of trauma, even, even being in the hospital and going through the, the illness that I went through, which left me with a ton of scars. Um, but I, I came out of that and thought everything was going to be okay. I was, I was married, but my marriage took a turn and I started to feel at that point again, see, even with everything I'd gone through and now I'm in my thirties at that point late thirties, I think, or no, early thirties. And I'm still feeling like, mm, I don't, I, I don't think I've, I'm enough. I'm not enough. You know, I've got to, I, I started to believe I served two purposes in life. One mm-hmm. was to be the best mother I could be. And one was at the time, my partner at the time started making me feel like I, the only thing I was, that was worthy of me was to be used for sex. Right. So I confused being sexual with being sexualized and still felt like, okay, so I'm, I guess I'm not lovable. I guess I'm not at that point. I had lost my mother, my brother, my father was out of the picture. I didn't really have anyone. So I felt like, I felt like there was nothing good enough about me except, okay, so then I've got to be attractive. So I went back to the same thing. If people, if I couldn't be loved, well, maybe I could be desired. And then, so I started, it was a, a, with my my ex-husband at first and just kind of letting myself thinking I was empowering myself and thinking I was in control, but I, but I wasn't. And the dancing came into it when, um, well, listen, we were, I, I was, I was, I was having sex with people. And if you're going to be <laughs> showing your body, you want to be in shape for it. Right. Uh, I was still dealing with my eating disorder. Hadn't, hadn't dealt with that. And I was working at the gym and a trainer came to me and said, I can get you to look like a fitness model in like six weeks. And I was like, oh, well, Where do okay. I sign? And I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I wasn't, I was really fit and really thin and already. But, um, but of course you have to pay, right? Because it's personal training. And at the time I thought, okay, my kids were toddlers and I was home with them all day. And it, like I said, it was very important for me to be present. Like I was really with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, how am I going to pay for this? Because I didn't feel like I could take money from the household if I wasn't working, but I couldn't work because I was with my kid. So I thought, well, what, what's the one job that you can do? I need a job that I can do when the kids are sleeping. And so we had been, I had been to strip clubs with my ex-husband. And so I thought, oh, okay. So I started dancing and it was to get my body to the way to, I was paying dancing so that I can pay my trainer to keep me looking the way I wanted to look. But what that entailed was I would be home with my kids all day and all night. I'd put them to bed. I would go to the club. I would strip. I would leave. I would have the only dancer with a protein shake in their locker. I wasn't drinking, didn't have a sip of alcohol, nothing. I had my protein shake, my trainer approved shake, get home, change my clothes, go to the 24 hour gym at about five o'clock 
do my workout, go to the 24 hour grocery store, pick up something for the kids, come home, take a shower, get the kids up and go into the next day. So it was, I'd go a couple of days without sleeping. So I wasn't eating and I wasn't sleeping. So it certainly wasn't, wasn't healthy, but that's, uh, that, that's how it was for a little while. So that, that's interesting. So you're not really drawing a roadmap for other young women who are going through similar circumstances that you went through, right? I mean, this is not a, advice. This is just your story. No, but this is the reality. This, yeah. is, this is the reality of how bad things can get. I mean, I luckily, this was obviously before I went into recovery and it was, it, I had a, a, I mean, I didn't go into recovery until my late 30s. And I will tell you, though, as what I would tell somebody who is struggling is it's scary when you go into recovery. Uh, There's so many fears, but I will tell you, it is life changing. And yes, I still don't cook and I wish I did and, and all that. But I'm not afraid of food. I love food. I was funny because I was just thinking today about people who don't allow themselves to eat the foods that they love. You know, I thought if I got to the end of my life and I didn't always feel this way. But now if I got to the end of my life and I had the body that I always, at my peak, the body that I had at my peak, and my stomach was flat and I had muscles and whatever, but I wasn't letting myself eat fresh baked chocolate chip cookies, you know, uh-huh. or, or things that I love. That's so sad. Like that life is about pleasures, you know, That's life. Right. There's so many hard things in life. There's so many tough things in life, but there are also pleasurable things. And if you don't allow yourself to have the things that are, that give you pleasure, what's the point? And so I'm so grateful that I, that I have recovery. Uh, and so it, it's, it's so worth it to anyone struggling. And I, when I went in for my assessment at the eating disorder program, there were two programs. One was day patient. One was like full on. And they said to me, you know, you need full on, like you're a bad, I was a bad case because of my age, because of how long I wouldn't do it because it meant being away from my kids. So I didn't, and it was the right, it ended up being the right program for me anyway, the one I was in, but, but I was a, I was a bad case. And if I can <laughs> kind of come out of it, there is, there's absolutely hope and it's so worth it. So I hope that people who are struggling do hear that, get help. It's so worth it. So how do you even know where to go, how, where to reach out to, who to speak with about getting help and getting healthy to a point to where you can look back and connect the dots and say, okay, I'm here because of that. That's a, that's a very good question because I will tell you this. I had some false starts. I, I went to see some therapists who were not right for me. And thankfully, I didn't let that keep me from looking for other help. And that's, that's the big thing. Anyone, especially if you're new to therapy, if you go and it doesn't work and you think, well, therapy doesn't work. No, that therapist or that type of therapy doesn't work. I, you have to be you have to be the best pro I, I, if I had found this program when I wasn't ready, it wouldn't work. You have to be, it has to be the right program at the right time. But I will also say this. It's like I said earlier, I went into this program. There was a year waiting list and I waited and then I got myself off the list and then went back on and, and, and waited. And it's tough, especially, and it's very frustrating probably with any kind of rehab, but I'll say with, I know with eating disorders, I could have gotten into a program quickly, but I would have had to pay tens of thousands of dollars, which Mm -hmm. I did not have. Yeah. Or you're on a waiting list. And sometimes the waiting lists are years and years. And that is really tough. But get yourself on any list. Like, don't think, oh, my God, I have to wait a year. The year is going to come and go on the list. Ask around. Um, if you can't, if there's nothing sooner. Luckily, we've got the internet now. You know, find somebody online. Um, just talk to, just start. The thing is, just start. Just Because you're going to feel so proud of yourself just by making that effort. There's so right. much shame in eating disorders. 
And that's the thing too. I will say this. I, I had a friend years and years and years, years ago who was a compulsive overeater and she went to a drug program, didn't have a drug problem, but she told me she was trying to use it because she felt that this is so ridiculous, but she felt there was more of like a kind of a coolness to a drug problem than a food problem. So she was embarrassed. That's how much the shame there problem. is out there. There's so much shame. Yeah. So my thing is, look, eating disorders aren't, aren't pretty. They're not glamorous, but it's the eating disorder that's not bad. You're not bad for struggling with it. You know, I'm not, I'm not bad because I battled one. It's the eating disorder. In fact, I think it's pretty badass that I'm recovering from it. So, mm-hmm. so don't let the shake, cause it's such a, it's such a, uh, oh, it, there's so much judgment. There's so much judgment around food. It's so hard. Um, and it really is so, it's, people minimize it, but I mean, food is everywhere. You can get food at the gas station, at the library. At, at, there's everywhere you go, there's food. And when that's your issue, it's, it's a tough thing to battle. So there's no shame in battling it, but, but you're worth recovering from it. You knew that we were going to be talking a lot about food on, on my show. So, you know, I want to kind of ask you if you think that culture and society has loosened up a little bit on the ways that they've always looked at young women and what is expected from them. Do you think that we're more in a normal place now than we were in the past? No. Or do you think there's still a lot of difficulty? I don't think I don't think we're normal at all, actually. I think it's in with social media in some ways it's gotten worse. I think the one thing that's great about social media is that uh, when I first started, I started speaking out about body image and eating disorders back in 2007. I had a mm-hmm. workshop I would bring to schools. And back in 2007, Facebook was just starting. So there wasn't, there weren't the groups, the access to the positive groups that there are now. So in the same way that if you go on social media, you could find a bunch of messages telling you that you need to be thinner and look younger and whatever, you can find healthy body image groups too. You can find positive body image groups, body positivity. There, there is a lot of that now, but you have to look for it. So it's, it really is it's, it's almost like choosing what you want at the restaurant to eat, right? You can choose from different sizes. Many. So you have to want to fill yourself with the good messages. So there is that, which is good, but I'm, we're kidding ourselves if we think that we're in a, in, in a more um, accepting society because we're not. And, and what, what's difficult is that growing up, we had cosmopolitan magazine telling us how we were supposed to look as women. Now you've got so many other things, Mm -hmm. but we also have the fitness industry, which I was a part of. I was a personal trainer for years. And the problem I have with the fitness industry is that they will wrap up eating disorders and, and weight bias and, and fat phobia under the guise of health. And it's not. So it's the same negative messages that fit only looks a certain way. And I always say that there's a difference between physical appearance and physical fitness. That's right. And physical appearance is how my body looks to you. Physical fitness is how my body feels to me. It's how my body works opposed to how it looks. And we have to stop thinking that you can tell how fit somebody is by how their bodies look. You're so right. A, a lot of times people are going to look at a thin person and automatically think that person is fit when there's a lot of stuff going on. It could be disease, exactly. it could be disorder, anything could be going on. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We have no idea. We have no idea what's going on. Unless you're their doctor, you don't know what's going on in their body. So we have to stop judging. All these various different things, Marcy, that you've gone through, has it affected your relationships with men, let's just say, because of the relationship difficulty and the fact that you decided to kind of step out there and be uh, the being that you really wanted to be? Uh, I'm sure it's it's affected my relationships in a lot of ways, because when you're 
where you're struggling with your own self-image and your own self-worth, that it makes it very difficult to get close to anybody because you mm-hmm. just assume that they're looking at you the same way. Or again, if I felt that there was nothing worth loving about me, then I didn't really trust anyone who said that they did kind of thing. Or I just, uh, I think um, you can't really get close to anyone else if you're afraid of them seeing you, you know? And I was just, I was really afraid of being seen for my whole life in a lot of ways. And then, and then when I was comfortable physically with my body and I let a lot of people see me, it was still not getting to know me. But um, I think uh, I'm not somebody who really needs another person's validation. I used Uh to be, and I've really flipped to the other side of that. And, and it, it took me so long to like myself that that's, I'm really enjoying that. (laughs) Are you a solo flyer right now? Are you uh, pretty much unto yourself? You're not in a connected, special relationship with another person. Mm -hmm. You're just doing your thing. Yeah, I think Uh um, I was, I was in a very, very long relationship and I've been in other relationships and and I'm not saying I'll never do that again, but I think, I don't know that I don't believe in those old cliches that there's someone for everybody. I don't Mm -hmm. know. That mm-hmm. there's someone, mm-hmm. or maybe I'm just not for everyone. Um, I, what I don't do they say? A reason or a season to be with somebody? That's so right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I believe more in shorter connections. I, uh-huh. I love making connections with people. I love, you know, what you get from each other and, and what you learn. I, I don't know that I'm the type that could, in any situation, can, can be in any situation, whether it be a, a work thing or a relationship thing, for a really, really long period of time. I'm not a planner. You know, I'm not, right. if somebody says, where, where, where are you going to be in five years? I'm like, where am I going to be in five days? I, I, I don't <laughs> I mean, know. remember what I have for breakfast. I'm yeah. telling you. So, right. um, yeah, I just take things as they come. I take things as they come. Oh, that's very interesting. So try to connect the dots for me. Where does how to ruin your own reputation come into Marcy Warhaft? And that's an easy one too. So I decided when I was turning 50 that um, I had had a lot of shame. I carried a lot of shame around the stuff that I did during that crazy time of, of dancing and, and being promiscuous and all, all that stuff, uh, I carried a lot of shame, even though I had gone on to get healthy and became this body image, recognized body image expert and writing for magazines and on TV and all of that stuff, I still carried a lot of shame and secrecy. And, and I was terrified that people were going to know about my past and people were going to find out and what was it going to do for me professionally? What, about, what if my kids found out? And what was it going to do to them? And it's a really hard way to live when you're terrified yeah. of people finding out. Um, and I just got to a point turning 50. I, I think it was just something in me was like, all right, it, there's more years behind you than ahead of you. So how are you going to spend the rest of this time? I, there's no, I, I was done living in fear. I was done living sort of as half Marcy. Like I felt like there was more to me that I was letting people see. And I was afraid. And I'm like, I'm not going to be afraid anymore. And I kind of had this feeling of, I'm just going to, I'm going to share who I am, what I've done, where I've been. And if people like it, great. If they don't, that's, that's okay too. And I had to get to a point in my life where I was okay with myself. I, I always say I, I used to criticize myself for how I survived my traumas instead of being proud of the fact that I survived. And I started to really understand when I wrote my book, The Good Stripper, uh, I dedicate it to anyone who might be struggling to forgive themselves for the mistakes they made when they were just trying to survive. Because I realized that's all I was doing. I was doing the best I could with what I had. 
And once I did that, uh, it'd be so liberating. So I wrote my book and, and put in everything and told all my secrets and told my kids and told everyone. And, and it was terrifying, but it was also incredibly liberating. And I saw that the world didn't crash, that, mm-hmm. uh, that I actually, I didn't lose anyone. And in fact, I had more people reaching out to me saying that they, they related to me and, and that they were grateful that I was sharing. And so from that, what I learned was, okay, I, I had to, I had to ask myself when I found out my book was going to be published, if I was ready to risk ruining my reputation in order to be free. And I realized I was finally at a place where I was and it was the best thing I ever did. So then I decided I'm going to help other people do the same thing. And so I created the podcast, How to Ruin Your Own Reputation. And I highlight people who are living lives that some people don't understand. And as a way of bringing understanding, because the more you talk, the more you listen, especially, the more you learn, the less you judge. That's that's the hope. So do you think that there's a, a good possibility that the old Marcy is the old Marcy and is behind you? Or is the old Marcy still a part of your current Marcy and it leads yeah. into the future? It's all me. And that's the thing where I find when people say, it drives me crazy and people are like, don't live in the past. Don't look behind you because that's not where you're going. And I'm like, well, that's ridiculous because <laughs> there's a difference between, to me, there's a difference between living in the past and living with the past. And so if you live, if you're in it, then you're not moving forward. And that's, mm-hmm. that's tough, but I'm, I'm living with it. It's going to, I'm moving through it, but it's going to be, it's a part of who I am. I, right. you can't, you can't, I can't have this me without the other me, but I will say this. I used to joke that I peaked when I was eight years old because I loved me when I was eight years old. I was so confident. I was just like, oh, I was so strong mentally, emotionally. It was great. And then I lost it. And what's amazing now is I feel like I have that back. I feel right. like when I'm, when I'm on social media and I'm dancing, and I'm lip syncing and I'm just being me, I feel like that, that little girl version. And so it is, it is me, which is why another thing I hate when people say the cliche of, oh, you know, everything you went through made you who you are. I'm like, no, I disagree with that. My trauma didn't make me who I am. I was who I, who I was. Like I was right. always me. My trauma took me away from that for a little while and made mm-hmm. me think that, that I wasn't her anymore. My resiliency brought me back. So right. it's, it's, I always had that strong little girl was there before the traumas hit. And then I just had to, I just had to believe in that again and, and, and let her come back. But I'm, I'm still me, always me. Just, I hope getting wiser and stronger and smarter and sillier even. Well, you know, I think a lot of the experiences we go through, if you take a look at it, experiences in the past as ingredients to a dish, we are all mm-hmm. the dish that our ingredients slash experiences kind of created, right? Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Where do you see yourself in five days? <laughs> see, I didn't want to say five years. <laughs> what, what, what's on your plate now? What are you doing these days? Yeah, it is. It's, it's such a tough thing because I, I mm, it is tough. Well, I'm still, I'm still out there um, promoting my book and, and doing speaking things for my book. And that's the big thing. I work as a resiliency coach. So I help people get through the mistakes that they made in dealing with processing all of that um, and my podcast. And, and I've got some other things I can't talk about yet, but there's some exciting things coming up. Always oh, something never traditional. Those I are the things I need I to ask you about. What exactly can you I know. Talk we'll come about? back and we'll come back and come back in a, in a, in a bit, but just, I'm always working to, uh, 
to do something fun. It's, it's, I don't know what's next. Who was it? I think it was David Bowie that said something like, I don't know what's next, but it won't be boring. Oh, I really dig that. Well, yes, the next time you come on, we'll absolutely talk about what's next. Absolutely. Tell everyone where they can get a hold of Marcy in whatever way they want. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, for the easiest way for my book is uh, thegoodstripper.com and you can get it in paperback, you can get ebook, you can get it on Audible. It is an audio book and I am reading it. Um, the marcywarhaft.com is for the resiliency training. I am just easy to find Marcy Warhaft at every social media, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. And just uh, just reach out to me there. Oh, that's so cool. Marcy, a question about your resiliency stuff. How do you do your intake, how do you evaluate whether or not someone is going to be a good fit with you and vice versa? Well, there's always a, a 50 minute free uh, video call or if they don't want video, it's audio. And we just, I explain to them the way that I work, which is a little bit different. I see things a little bit differently, but we just feel each other out and then decide. Um, and it's usually just in, in four sessions and then more if, if that's what's, what's wanted. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. Well, Thank you for having me on your show. I'm very excited for you. And I think did you're you going to have... be a great a great addition to the podcast scene. Did you have fun? I did, of course. Good, of course. When you're involved, it's always fun. Oh, you know, I admire your fine taste. <laughs> Thank you, Marcy Warhaft. Really appreciate it. I want to say aloha to you and we'll uh, we'll stay in touch, okay? Absolutely. Thank you.